I went to Haiti first, and it was two years after the earthquake, just trying to see what phase three of a crisis was like. Like, what is it? Is everything better now? And it wasn't. It was total chaos. The doctors were working in a hospital when there were walls missing. Um, it looked like the earthquake had just happened. And it's two years later. Supply chains were just still totally messed up. And, and so I just kept seeing that. And I kept seeing systems falling apart for lack of a screw or a washer. Like little five-cent plastic parts. It just didn't make any sense to me because they're things we just take for granted here, you know? Hi there. This is the SolidWorks Born to Design podcast, a podcast of inspiring stories about those who create, build, invent, and engineer new ideas into actual new products. And by the way, they all use SolidWorks. I'm your host, Cliff Medling, and this is episode number three titled Designing in Crisis, where I will be talking with Dara Dots at SolidWorks World, who is an industrial designer and co-founder of FieldReady, which designs and manufactures parts in crisis zones. I'm sure you're gonna be amazed with what Dara and her team could do to help others who are in great need after natural disasters or political catastrophes by developing very practical solutions on site. But let's let Dara tell you her incredible story. Let's jump right in. My name's Dara Dots and I'm an industrial designer and I'm co-founder of the marvelous nonprofit called Field Ready. So you can look us up at fieldready.org. We do manufacturing in crisis zones so instead of waiting for like long su- supply chain challenges and um, post-disaster, um, it can take anywhere from three months to three years to get supplies in a lot of these situations. And so what we do is we actually bring the manufacturing units with us so that we figure out what the survivors need and we co-design with them every step of the way. And once we figure out how to make that solution, we then teach them how to make it. And so that's how SolidWorks actually plays in. Sometimes we do 3D printing or um, we do sharing CAD files so we can explain what we're doing across borders. And we do that anywhere from Nepal to Kenya to Myanmar to uh, Syria. We're working in Syria, um, post-earthquake Haiti, so all over the place. And so that's that. That's the kind of stuff we do. So sometimes it's 3D printing. Sometimes we invent new technologies to help people. Uh, we work in really limited in, um, environments, resource, very resource-restrained environments. So, yeah. right. Well, you mentioned the supply chain. Go into a little more depth about that. These people have gone through disaster situations yeah, you could order some parts, but yeah, it would so, take... So, um, yeah, they don't have Amazon Prime. It's not a thing. People have asked <laughs> me many times, why don't you just Amazon Prime things? But yeah, so the rest of the world is not quite as privileged as we are. And so it's interesting. People say, why don't you work in America? And we do work in America. Actually, we just, well, we were just in the U.S. Virgin Islands for the hurricane response. Um, but a lot of America, anywhere there's a crisis, you know, the other half of the country, you can fly a plane full of supplies and people can get what they need really quickly. Um, we have a wonderful infrastructure and the capabilities here. In a lot of the countries we work in, there just isn't that kind of access. Um, for example, in Haiti, people after the earthquake, people kept responding and donating things and jackets and everything else. But what happened is all the stuff that people didn't actually need um, was actually filling up the, the airport. And so the medicine and things people did need couldn't get out. So that sometimes can create a big challenge. Um, and the other thing is, after the earthquake in Nepal, um, there were planes that wanted to bring food and water and things in, but they couldn't because there was no gas. So the planes couldn't actually land and take off again, so they didn't. So there were periods of time where supplies just can't come in. All the roads are washed out. Um, it was really interesting being in Nepal, right? It's sandwiched between India and China, two of the biggest manufacturing countries in the world, and we couldn't get anything, like literally cut off. Um, so it's, it's really extreme. And um, those, those, those cutoffs can last a long time. And if something does get through, it's incredibly expensive and, and hard to get your hands on. Um, so usually it's just the people who are able to get to it first. And so limited, limited resources and very hard to get things like medical machinery again, right? Because it's like you can bring in food and save someone or you could try to bring machines and it's all these things. So a lot of times we wind up fixing antiquated machinery 
Yeah. Right. And in fixing it, you bring your 3D printers, you design mm-hmm. a little part that could be needed that mm-hmm. could be impossible to, with the supply chain to get in. And yeah. Do it. Yeah. So we've done a lot of fixing. So when we use 3D printers, a lot of what we do is um, small items because we only have power for a few hours and then it cuts. So you don't want the printer yeah. to cut out on you um, in the middle of a like eight hour print. But um, a lot of it's like sometimes it's medical disposables like umbilical cord clamps or nebulizer adapters. Um, in Nepal, it's a lot of medical equipment. Um, we fix a lot of um, antiquated machinery like baby incubators and things like that. So we, we bring the things to fix things. And we do do 3D printing, but it's just one of the, the many tools that we use, um, injection molding. Um, most recently in the hurricane response, uh, which is in the video, I think that you guys will, I don't know where it's gonna be posted, but um, we used, we really try to figure out what's available um, and how to work with locals. And so one of the big challenges was that like FEMA said, hey, sign up online, tell us where you're at, we'll help you. Well, a lot of people didn't even have that message because they didn't have power or internet. So um, they didn't even know. So the big thing is like, how do we get power, right? How do we get power to people? And one of the the solar farms is completely destroyed. So there are all these solar panels just destroyed and rippled up and rolled up um, on the side of the road. And we're like, well, I wonder if we could fix them. So we actually wound up fixing the solar panels and then finding old car batteries and creating solar charging stations that people could then plug their phone in so they could call and tax the mainland and ask for help. Um, and this is really a good example of the kind of stuff that I love. It's about creating more resilient communities. We partnered with this amazing organization down there called My Brother's Workshop, and they work with at-risk youth. And uh, so we were actually able to train the trainer, so um, teaching at-risk youth how to actually go in and bring light to their communities. Um, and that's super powerful because, unfortunately, with climate and the way everything's going and global warming or whatever you want to call it, um, there's more and more of these happening. And this means that the next time there is a hurricane, these communities can actually make their own station before FEMA even lands and hopefully get help sooner. Right. It's training the trainers, as you said. Yeah. So um, I guess, you know, you mentioned the U.S. Virgin Islands, what you guys did down there. Maybe go into a little bit about that and the, and the two hurricanes that came through and the power just little bit more background on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was the two class five hurricanes um, that came through and actually we were positioned to go much sooner than we went. The f- we went twice and um, the first response we were delayed because all the flights kept getting canceled and then we were on a different flight. Oh my gosh, it was a nightmare. I was on standby for like 10 days straight or something crazy by the time we could finally get in. Um, and luckily FEMA was there and there were groups getting in, but it was still really hard pressed and um, it, there's a lot of groups working and trying to figure out what they can work on best. and creating shelters, using a lot of tarps. Um, but we, we were working with our partners on the ground and, and just really asking people what they need. And that's kind of that's kind of our thing. It's um, Our biggest model is we we never really know what we're gonna do till we get somewhere because you can assume things, but if you make an assumption, that's when you miss the, you miss the point, right? You sometimes can go off in another direction. So we didn't know, this is the first time we did a power project actually. Um, so we didn't know we were gonna do that. And uh, until we listen to the survivors and what they need. And that's that's kind of what really drives our, our focus. Talk about being customer focused, right? So <laughs> everywhere we go, we're like, what do you need? What a concept, asking people what they need and then showing them how to do it themselves is really what. Exactly, I liked, I liked when you guys put that in the movie. That was a key point. You, yeah. you guys go down, mm-hmm. you talk to the people, find out what they really need mm-hmm. when they just needed to power their cell phones yeah. or you know, this yeah. sort of thing. And, and as you mentioned, the solar panels were destroyed, but you found out a lot of them were working. So that was Yeah, great. yeah, we repaired them and taught, taught the kids how to make stations safely and currents. And that's actually what we were using those caps for in the videos. Because right. all the little kids were so excited to see light, they were coming and touching everything. And so we wanted to make sure it was safe so they wouldn't shock themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and we that's used it for like, jigs for re-roofing and things like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so you have SolidWorks on the on the ground down there, and you yeah. created a part that you needed, and mm-hmm. and it and three D printed it, and you're mm-hmm. off and running, right? Yeah, yeah. So we do it a lot to do rapid 
prototyping um, uh, when it's the right circumstance. So yeah, we always have SolidWorks on our laptops. <laughs> um, most of our engineers primarily use SolidWorks um, coming out of England. And I, I went to school for industrial design, and that was also the CAD software that we learned as well. So it's just um, it's just native to to most of our our, our expat engineers. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now was it. Um where did you guys first start off? It was Haiti, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, I went to Haiti first, and uh, I realized that I was just really curious about what it was down there and what was going on. And it was two years after the earthquake, so I didn't actually respond to the earthquake in Haiti. I was just trying to see what phase three of a crisis was like. Like, what is it? Is everything better now? And it wasn't. It was total chaos. Like, the doctors were working in a hospital when there were walls missing. Um, it looked like the earthquake had just happened. And it's two years later, and nobody cared anymore. Nobody was helping it wasn't the sexy disaster to donate to of the day, and um, supply chains were just still totally messed up. And for small clinics that like were just volunteer based, it can take up to sometimes three years to get the things they need. Um, and so it was just ridiculous. Um, and so I just kept seeing that, and I kept seeing systems falling apart for lack of a screw or a washer, like little five cent plastic parts. It just didn't make any sense to me because no one was trained how to maintain them or how to even get the parts. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so that's kind of what happened is it kind of started, Hmm, I wonder what this means and just constant pattern, but it was just so ridiculous because there are things we just take for granted here, you know? Right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys went back and they were still people using the machines and they were training yeah, others. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe so, you could expand on that. Yeah, so. sure. So, um, my, clearly I, I can't tell the stories. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my friend, when I was down there, um, my friend Maeve is a nurse and, um, she was out of medical equipment and, she needed like a simple thing, like an umbilical cord clamp, which is how you safely, um, it, there's other ways of tying off umbilical cords, but it's just, it's a, it's a sterile way that it's really no fuss, no muss, um, easy way to clamp off an umbilical cord. So it prevents neonatal sepsis, which is basically infections for the baby. And, um, she was out of the, all of those supplies and even string. And so she wound up cutting her last pair of latex gloves, um, to tie off the umbilical cord, which was an excellent hack, right? So she, the baby's happy, she's happy, they're healthy, yay. Uh, everything was good until um, she had to deliver four more babies that night, which means that she had to do it barehanded to potentially HIV positive women. And of course, because she's a real superhero in real life, she did. And I was just, I heard the story and it just, just finally, I just snapped. I got really angry and I said, I bet you we could 3D print those clamps. And that's kind of what got me started um, and how, how I got on this journey of disaster response and 3D printing and technology. Um, it's kind of funny. I actually it was super hated technology until I went to Haiti. I thought it was stupid because I couldn't find a good use for a 3D printer. I was like, they're stupid. I don't want one. <laughs> I thought they were cheating, like even CNC machines. I was, I was yeah, I was a very different person in college. <laughs> and, um, so I was like the one person who never touched our 3D printer at school. I don't even know what brand it was. And now I do it in disaster zones and space. It's kind of weird. But, <laughs> but, but it's so true. I mean, 3D printers have been around for a long time. But we're forever. starting to see real practical uses for them. Yeah, it's and that's just, that's recently, just a, yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, we don't need to print Yoda heads all the time. You know, we can start using them for real <laughs> things. So the first printers brought down were actually, um, I got I was upset and I got online and I asked my, you know, I read on Facebook if anyone had an old 3D printer and someone did and they donated it and I started learning how to 3D print in a shipping container because I was hiding from dengue. And malaria, and uh, I had friends who had hemorrhagic dengue. They were being medevaced out. It was it was intense, but um, it worked. It was cool. And then I was like, well, this isn't any good. If I learn, what's what's the point in this? Let's show let's show the locals. So um, met with a group of guys down there, and um, and some local medical professionals, and started teaching them. And and then that was really exciting because Johnson was teaching other medical professionals. So now Haitians are teaching Haitians how to use the 3D printers. 
Um, and the last time I went down there, the, the printers were still working, like the OG um, MakerBots. They're pretty badass, the wood ones. Yeah, they're really good. Um, <laughs> I still have them. They still run. It's like five years later in Haiti, and they're still working. It's interesting. Um, Abby, who was in the video, um, if you guys get a chance to see it, she's pretty. She's an amazing, phenomenal engineer. Um, and she actually wound up making, they are having challenges rebuilding the houses in Nepal. Like they were showing them the CAD drawings and like the stripe across where you put the extra beams to resupport your house. And they came back and said, okay, come look at my house. And they're like, we got it done. And they go and they look and they had painted a stripe on the actual house. They didn't put the reinforcements. So clearly something was lost in translation. So she actually used like the laser cutter to cut precise parts and then pull out the pieces and show them how to slide in to do reinforcement beams. So we do a lot with CAD and precision and things like that with maker tools to just really um, teach people different ways of doing things. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And sometimes like the, the machining we come across, actually you guys, these listeners would know way better than we would about how to fix it. So right. it's really cool to have those kind of resources of, of people um, all over the world to tap into. Absolutely. And uh, Dara just did mention the um, video. We did a video with Field Ready mm -hmm. on site in the Virgin Islands. Yes. So that was yes. uh, it's definitely worth checking out. We, yes. A little plug for that. Badass team. Badass yeah. team. Check out the video. Yeah. It's super beautiful. Amazing people came and shot it. I, I'm, it's like the prettiest video I've ever seen of our work. <laughs> <laughs> Usually our work is like a, a cell phone. Um, <laughs> so yeah, check it out. You can see what uh, you can see Eric and Abby and the phenomenal work that they do and the rest of our team. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Jess, what I forget? I'm sure this... Um, I'm just listening. Nerd out oh yes, yes. So we've been asking. It, so I don't even have mine on, but they have. We have what they call. What do I nerd out for? Oh, P pins here. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen them. Yeah, no, okay. I, I missed them. At the, they were apparently registration. So uh, what do you nerd out for it, besides? Aside from disaster response, yeah. <laughs> um, I nerd out on resiliency. Resiliency. I'm really big on resiliency. So um, my passion is really um, resiliency in the extremes, I think is a way to say it. So anything, I work in extreme environments uh, from disaster zones to space. So um, I was really excited. I, I had the pleasure of working with Made in Space for a few years. They did some kick-ass stuff in space. We made things in space. The name was great. People always got confused because it was so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to work on like the first 3D printer, um, zero gravity 3D printer, and it's on the space station. And they've got another one up there now. But um, it's really about how do we, I really nerd out on how do we um, empower people in, in limited resource environments when they're alone and they feel cut off from the rest of humanity. How do we, how do we help them? How do we, how do we really get them to be more resilient? And um, yeah, that's my thing. I totally geek out on space. And of course the launch was pretty badass. Oh, that was, uh, yeah, it was kind yeah, of yesterday, like, yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So I nerd out on space and, and people in general and how, um, how we all kind of can create solutions and work together. That's great. Now, if you don't mind, I think, you know, you had a powerful message. You know, you see people in these disaster zones, and, and we live here in America, and we've got it really good. Is there anything you'd like to say around that? You know, it's... Um, yes. Yeah. Stop, uh, sorry. Totally kind of go sideways on this one. Um, people always want to, when they see things, they always want to help people, like, oh, poor people. Um, yeah, yeah, they need help, but they're not... Stop treating people like victims. Start treating like badass, kick-ass survivors because they're way more badass than any of us. <laughs> like um, what people go through and what they survive is incredible. And I think that's a really important thing is to stop treating people like victims if you do want to help um, and start supporting them. And that's that's kind of, sorry, my thing. <laughs> no, I agree. I think <laughs> it's a great Because that's message. my big message because we are so privileged yeah. here and, and, and sometimes we look from afar and go, oh, those poor people. Yeah, those poor people. But they're also amazing. So how do we help them become more amazing? 
how can we be the sidekick? Like, let them be the superheroes, and how can we be the sidekick instead of doing aid in a way of like, ooh, you know, like yeah, let's throw some money at you. And, yeah, and yeah, luck. and some good, money's good great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, yeah, yeah, we definitely money. need it. Send it to yeah, us, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we can hire more yeah, locals. And and it's really hard for people to understand what it's like in the field unless you've actually been there and and the chaos and and what people can go through. And the human spirit is really amazing. And we're so fortunate here, and I think it's just really amazing. Um, the, the kind of access that we have and, and how privileged we are. And so how do we help people instead of, how do we support people instead of coming in like we know better just because we have more money? That that really doesn't make any sense. So that's true. Yeah. I think that's something that we need all need to think about. So so myself. go and learn yourselves, right? Yeah. 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 Excellent. So any, any advice you have for somebody who wants to, really wants to get out there and help out? Um, yeah, I say do it. I would just start in um, locally because there's also a lot of people here who need help. And um, I think one of the most powerful things we can do as humans is mentor each other. Um, and I think that get out and mentor um, and really reach out to people. It's a lot of what we do. I just, we do a lot of, like, after we've been there a while and things slow down, we, we do a lot of one-on-one mentoring and helping people. And um, it's the same thing here when I'm, when I'm home. I like to try to work with kids and, and young girls, especially, like, let's get more girls into STEAM. And actually, I like to call it STEAMed, science, technology, you know, <laughs> art and design. So, um it's, I think it's, I think that's it. I would say go do it, um, but don't think, like take action. But in the case of disasters, I don't say go do it because um, there are a lot of people who go into disasters because they want to help. But what happens sometimes, you know, and I, I, you know, years ago would have made the same mistake probably. Um, you go out there, you just drop everything, you fly out there. You don't want to do that because what happens if you go out there and you fly out there, then the people have to take care of you. Um, you need to pack all your gear. You need to bring a tent. You need to bring food. You need to bring medicine. Because if you go out there yourself and you don't really know what you're doing, you're actually taking the food and shelter away from the people who need it most. So I'd say start small. Start working in your community. And if you know, um, if you want to help out in crisis zones, like sync up with a really awesome partner or reach out to us because we're always looking for new people to work with. But it really does take a certain kind of person because um, you do sometimes see some things, and um, which is which is which is okay. It's just I I just would hate for people to go out into a crisis and then get themselves injured and also you just got to remember is it really should you be the one taking that spot on the plane right right uh, you don't want to go out with just good intentions yeah right? yeah because you know it's sometimes bad intentions happen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like the road to hell is paved with good intentions or something yeah, but it's, yeah. it's 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 and, and it's you know it's it's i don't mean to sound super critical but it's i mean i'm constantly questioning myself and my work all the time are we doing the right thing are we doing it right and, and i think that's healthy i think you need to do that um, when we, people in general, because when we assume we know what we're doing, that's when we get into trouble. And so I think supporting people is great, but before you jump into something kind of dangerous or other people's lives are at stake, like really um, take some time, take some stock. Well, as you, you said, start small. Yeah. 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 That's good. So yeah. Oh yeah. Also, um, if anyone's <laughs> get involved, reach out, fieldready.org and just like it sounds. And we also have a community um, uh, that we're trying to build up. If you guys want to join, that'd be awesome. It's called Humanitarian Makers. So look us up on LinkedIn or humanitarianmakers.org. And a lot of people want to get involved and participate, especially if you're an engineer listening or a designer, please like look us up or student, anything. Um, we have a community. And so when we get inundated with requests in the field, it's a way for us to reach out to the community when we have internet, of course, internet willing. So you actually ask for help and a way for you guys to get involved and do great things too. So Dara, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for allowing us to tell your story and oh. what you guys do with Field Ready. It's excellent. So Thank you so much for taking the time and having me in here. And it's my first time doing this. It was lots of fun. Excellent. First time ever. <laughs> excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. And remember that if you are manufacturing new products as Dara is, please know that SolidWorks makes it very easy to design for additive manufacturing. 
with topology study and to check to see if your part is 3D print ready. To learn more about 3D printing with SOLIDWORKS, go to SOLIDWORKS.com AM. That's A-M for additive manufacturing. Also, you can learn more about DARA and how FieldReady uses SOLIDWORKS in crisis situations at SOLIDWORKS.com FieldReady. There you can check out a new video and infographic about DARA's journey in the Virgin Islands after Hurricane Irma. We'll be back again soon with more great Born to Design podcast stories at SOLIDWORKS.com podcast or wherever podcasts are readily available. Until then, keep on designing.